And everybody said, amen. Thank you so much, boys and girls, uh, for leading us in worship today. And uh, you will see them again tonight. So if you come back for the time that we'll have tonight in worship at five o'clock, we'll look forward to hearing from them as they lead us. What would Christmas be without children, right? Um, We love to hear these voices and see the beauty and just anticipation in their eyes and hope we never wander too far from it. Well, as I've said to you most Sundays during this year, we know that our theme for 2021 is a journey of faith. And as I've shared with you, that really is our story as a church for these 150 years. And we are grateful for it. And so during the the seasons of the year in 2021, we have been studying various facets of faith. Since this is a journey of faith, we are learning together about faith. And so our theme for Advent is, O come, all ye faithful. And we are exploring the rich theology that is taught and communicated through that beautiful Christmas carol, O come, all ye faithful. And we're going to look at another uh, layer of meaning from that particular carol today. So I'm grateful for um, the fact that you have demonstrated your interest in it last Sunday. I was very proud of you as you made it through a pretty challenging theological lesson. So can I invite you to another one this morning? I want us to talk some theology this morning and uh, it is taught in this hymn and it's the scripture that's underneath the theology of this hymn is really what we're leaning into. And so today's lesson is entitled Citizens of Heaven Above. And I want you to look at this text with me, 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse 4. And I promise you, if you will hang in there with me, we will eventually get to it. We're going to read it first, and then we're going to have some theological conversation and see how this particular text undergirds and supports the theology that's taught in this particular stanza of this Christmas carol. So here are the words that the Lord gave to Simon Peter, 1 Peter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Well, this morning, here's where I'd like to, to begin, as I said, in this theological conversation that will eventually find us in 1 Peter 2. Christmas is filled with fulfillment. When you read this story, you come to an understanding of just how rich it is with fulfillment. On the one hand, the Christmas story is a gripping story just in and of itself. It's a, it's a beautiful love story. This couple having to leave their home and travel to the, uh, the homeland, the lineage of Joseph. And there they are and they give birth to this baby and so much happens all around them. It's a, it's a beautiful story just in and of itself. However, if you're paying attention and if you have done your homework, you will know that this story actually fits into a much larger story, a, a broader context. We, we would even contend as Christians, it is a cosmic story. If you think about it, it all begins in the very beginning when God created everything that is. And God chose to place human beings right in the heart of his creation. And human beings were given a unique assignment. We are to bear the image of God and we're to reflect the glory of God in his creation. However, the human story is fraught with failure. And you know that human beings sinned and we rebelled against God and we fell from that lofty perch of paradise. As one theologian put it, paradise lost. How did God respond to the failure of humanity? Well, in his grace, God responded with the great plan of redemption. And so as the story unfolds in what you and I today as Christians refer to as the Old Testament, it is the winding story of God's great plan of redemption lived out through the lives of real people on the stage of real history. The descendants of Abraham, they are given the responsibility to live purposefully in God's creation and to reflect God's glory among all the nations of the world. But along the way, once again, if you're paying attention and if you're doing your homework, you'll notice that God gives glimpses along the way throughout what we call the Old Testament. He gives us glimpses of the age that is to come. He gives us glimpses of the future in the life of Israel. And as we read and study, we come to an understanding that the promise of redemption was actually to be extended far beyond Israel and it was to be beneficial and available to all the nations. And so the voice of God, the word of God that spoke creation into existence began to whisper in the ears of the prophets. And God began to reveal to them as he lifted their gaze beyond their own current context and he gave them a glimpse of the days that were to come. And we read in the scripture that the promise is a new day is coming. A new day 
is dawning and the promised one is going to deliver it and usher it in into history. So when you're reading the gospel accounts this Christmas season, when we sing this Christmas carol and others, I wanna encourage you to be paying attention with your theological eyes and ears. And make sure that we know what's happening. Because when you read the gospel accounts, just remember, these gospel accounts were written by theologians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had been enriched by the Spirit of God and these men were given deep insight into what's actually really happening. And so here's what takes place as we read these story. The story takes on layers of meaning as the gospel writers point out how this story actually fulfills the promises of history. And so just listen to it as you read it. For example, in Luke 1, you read the account of the birth of John the Baptist, but the birth of John the Baptist is not some independent action that just takes place somewhat randomly in the lives of this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Oh, it's anything but that. The birth of John the Baptist is actually the fulfillment of a promise. And this baby will grow up and become the forerunner of the Messiah in the spirit of Elijah, fulfilling the promise of God, signaling that the new day is dawning. If you go all the way back to the very beginning, once again, if you're, if you're paying attention, Genesis 3, we hear the very first promise given in the scripture. And it comes from none other than the mouth of God himself. And he uses this interesting phrase in Genesis 3, verse 15, the seed of the woman. What an interesting turn of phrase in Hebrew. The seed of the woman, implying that something miraculous is going to take place. We'll keep reading and we'll hear these words spoken through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 7 verse 14. The virgin will give birth to a son and he will be Emmanuel, God with us. Once again, read those gospels through those lenses. Matthew 1, Luke 1, note the fulfillment of this promise. Mary questions that angelic messenger, how can this be? And the angel gives the promise that is found all the way back in Genesis 3 in the very beginning of this story, making sure you know that this story of Christmas fits into a much broader story when the angel says the Holy Spirit will come upon you when the angel gives the message in Matthew 1 to Joseph, take this woman to be your wife because that which is in her is of the Holy Spirit. And then Matthew says, and this fulfills the great promise of the prophet Isaiah as the power of the Most High has accomplished a miracle in the life of Mary. And the story continues, layer upon layer. Matthew 2, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Well, those scribes and scholars began to pour through the scripture and they found the promise in Bethlehem as spoken to the prophet Micah. And then Mary and Joseph warned by God in a dream 
to escape to Egypt, fulfilling the promise of Hosea 11, verse one, the slaughter of the innocents referenced by Jeremiah. And even this obscure reference that the Messiah will be known as a Nazarene. In other words, he's going to live his life in obscurity, fulfilling several promises given to Isaiah. In other words, Christmas is filled with fulfillment. And if you're paying attention, you recognize this is not some random story. This is a cosmic story that fits into the grand story, the great narrative, the great plan of redemption. The promises of God are fulfilled. And they are fulfilled right on time. That's what Paul says. Paul says in Galatians 4, verse 4, when the fullness of time came, he says, that God sent forth his son born of a woman. And so what does that mean to us theologically as Christians? It, it means so much. So much as, as I've already shared with you last Sunday as we talked about this, this unique relationship that exists within the Trinity now being exposed to us through the gift of God's son. And here's what's happening when you read the story of Christmas. Don't miss it. It's what many theologians refer to as inaugurated eschatology. Once again, you and I have talked about this, but it is something I believe very strongly in. Inaugurated eschatology. What is eschatology? Eschatology is the end times, the, the last days, the eschaton. So many people, when they think about the last days, they think it's all in the future. They think that eschatology is all about the return of Christ. Eschatology is all about the end of time. Well, it certainly has that thread in it. It certainly has that meaning. It certainly is connected. But for those of us who are watching, who are listening, who are paying attention, who are really searching through the scripture, what we discover is, is that the eschaton has already dawned. Don't miss it. The last days have already begun. Does that mean that I'm one of those TV preachers predicting the return of Christ? No. But here's what I'll tell you is I don't have to predict the return of Christ because the return of Christ is going to happen. But here's what you don't need to miss. The eschaton came and began when Jesus came the first time. The last days have already been inaugurated. It's already on us. The fullness of time, the last days have been launched. This is a new era. That's why Jesus announced it at his very first sermon. The kingdom of God is right here. It's in your midst. It is among us. It is near us. The last days have already begun. That's why Simon Peter stood up at Pentecost and said, I know what this is. In the last days, the Spirit will be poured out upon humanity and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. The Apostle Paul understood it. He says this in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, the culmination of the ages has come on us. Is how the NIV translates it. You know what it says in the Greek text? The end of the ages is upon us. <laughs> the end of the ages. In other words, the eschaton is not just something out there in the future. It's already begun. Because you see in the scripture, we've talked about this, but let me remind you, in the scripture, the scripture paints with a broad brush the two ages of history, the present evil age and the age to come. 
And the, the prophets saw the age to come and it was their contention that the Messiah would usher in the age to come. So what happens on that fateful night in Bethlehem when this little baby is born to the Virgin Mary, attended to by her husband Joseph, recognized and blessed by those shepherds? Here's what happened. The new age has dawned and everything has changed. Nothing will ever be the same again. The kingdom of God has come near through the birth of this little baby boy, Jesus, Emmanuel. God is now with us. And so you and I, we live in this tension. We, we live in this challenging place as Christians. On the one hand, yes, we are a part of this present evil age. We see it all around us but we also see glimpses, we hear whispers, we hear rumors of the age to come that's already present as well. And so you and I find ourselves in both of those. On the one hand, we are very much a part of this present evil age as sinful people, but we've been redeemed and rescued by God. We're now part of the age to come. You see, that's who the church is. And so with the birth of Jesus, everything changes. Let me remind you of who the church is. The church is the new covenantal people of God. We've been purposefully designed by God for the age to come to reflect his glory in the present age. You see, you and I are in on the secret. We know that the eschaton is not just fully in the future, it's already here. It, it kind of reminds me of when people had all this concern about the year 2000. Y'all remember that? Man, we just, we just freaked out. Do y'all remember? We went and bought bottles of water and canned goods and we made a run on the bank like Mary Poppins. We were so afraid that ATM machine wasn't gonna work and we were just nervous. Do you remember? Here's what's interesting about that. Dionysius Exiguus was this medieval priest. He was trying to grapple with the dating of the birth of Jesus. And there he sat studying and praying and ciphering as best he could. And he finally came up with as best he could tell the year Christ was born. And so he designated it and he changed the calendar. And because of Dionysius Exiguus, the calendar was, the calendar was changed to BC, before Christ, and Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. And after he did that, we, we've researched it and we looked at his, his conclusion and we're grateful for what he's done. But here's what we've discovered. Now remember, he didn't have Wikipedia. He didn't have, you know, Instagram. There were so many things he was limited by, but somehow he made his best judgment. But here's the problem. Based upon our best research, he was about four years off, which is not bad. True, not bad. So as best we know today, Jesus was actually born four years before Christ, okay? So that's what we know today. So guess what that means? The year 2000 came and we missed it in 1996, four years prior. My fear is that's how Christians live right now. They're waiting on the last days and what we don't understand is the last days have already begun. This this age to come has already arrived. Jesus is already showing us how to live in the kingdom age and be kingdom people, even though we are still living in this present evil age. The Christmas story is the launching, it's the inauguration of the eschaton. So what does that mean? What that means is, is that you and I now as Christians, we have dual citizenship. That's what that means. 
It means that on the one hand, we are citizens of this earth. Yes, of course we are. Look at us. We're humans. We, we live in this world. We are, we're fraught with this present evil age. We're sinful. We're broken people. And yet, we also live in this new age, the age to come. We live in the present evil age. Of course we do. But we're members of God's kingdom. Now, how do I know that? Because that's what the Bible says. Once again, we've got to be paying attention theologically. What does Paul say in Philippians 3 verse 20? Our citizenship is in heaven. We're not just waiting to go to heaven. We're already experiencing heavenly realities right now as believers. We're not just waiting to be rescued. We've already been rescued, praise God. What does Paul say in Colossians 1 verse 13? God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of light. In other words, yes, we are citizens of the kingdom of darkness. We've been delivered now and we're now citizens of the kingdom of light. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 3, he's already blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 2 verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So guess who you are? You are already citizens of heaven. You're not waiting to be a citizen of heaven. You're already a citizen of heaven. You already have your passport. You're just waiting for it to be stamped one day. Praise God. So guess what? We sing about it. Look at this carol. What number is it, 103, is that right? Look at Oh Come All You Faithful. Y'all did so well this morning singing uh, last week's sermon, didn't you think, Aaron? They did so good with true God of true God singing the Nicene Creed as a bunch of Baptists. It was actually a beautiful thing. But look at the third stanza. This writer, maybe not even fully realizing it, I'm not sure because we don't know for sure who even wrote it. But look at the verse three, sing choirs of angels. Of course, of course, sing in exultation, absolutely. Those angels sang that night in Bethlehem, didn't they? I mean, that, that one angel is, is announcing, and all of a sudden it's like the rest of the angels couldn't help themselves. They had to join in and sing together this glorious announcement. But notice what else it says. Oh, sing all ye citizens of heaven above. That's us. All of a sudden, we're in that heavenly choir. We're not waiting to join it. We're already in it. We're supposed to be a part of it. It's not just the angels singing. It's the people of God singing. And what are we singing? We're celebrating the fact that a new day has come. This present evil age is losing, and the age to come is winning, and it will ultimately triumph. Praise God. So who are we? We're the faithful. That's who we are. We're the ones who understand that a new day has dawned. Are y'all still with me? Okay, so, so let me see if I can illustrate it for you. George Shultz, he was the Secretary of State with Ronald Reagan. Y'all remember him? And Shultz had an interesting thing that he would do with every new ambassador who came to see him. He would talk to them about their role in representing the United States in another place. And they would have that conversation 
about what it was supposed to be like. And then supposedly George Schultz said he would do this. He would walk over to this giant globe in his office and he would spin it. And then he would call the new ambassador over and say, now find your country. And so that ambassador would go over and look and search and put his finger on that place. George Schultz said everything changed for him one day when his good friend Mike Mansfield was in his office. And he was the ambassador to Japan. They had this great conversation. He would end up serving Japan longer than any other American. And Schultz said, he said this to Mansfield. He said, I spun that globe and I said to him, now go put your finger on your country. He said, Mansfield looked at him and said, That'll eat. that's easy. He walked over and put his finger on the United States. He said, that's my country. I just live in Japan. Now, come on, y'all. You're citizens of heaven. You just happen to live on earth for a little while. That's who you are. What's that old song say? This old world is not my home. I'm just passing through. You know, um, John Hess Yoder was a missionary in Laos years ago. And he worked on the border of Laos and Vietnam. And he said it was quite fascinating because the kings of Vietnam and Laos they always had trouble along that border of making sure exactly where the line was because their people spilled across both sides of the border and they wanted to make sure that they could tax their own people and get the money they were supposed to get for their government. So they came to an agreement. And here's what the two kings decided. They said, if, if you eat short grain rice and, and you build your house on stilts and you use these Indian style serpents to decorate your house, you're Laotian regardless of which side of the border you live on. If, if you eat long grain rice and you build your house on the ground and you decorate them with Chinese dragons, then you're Vietnamese, regardless of which side of the border you live on. And so those people will be taxed appropriately. John Hess Yoder said, when I discovered that, I thought to myself, how are they going to know that I'm a citizen of heaven only by how I live? We just have some distinguishing characteristics as the people of God. There are some things that should mark us as citizens of heaven. People who know that we're actually living in this new era. So, let's get to the sermon in 1 Peter. Are y'all with me? Look back with me at 1 Peter 2. Who are we now? Who are we? These, these Christians living in this present evil age? How will they know us? How are we supposed to know ourselves? Well, look at this text. I'm just gonna give you a list of words straight from this text. We're chosen, we're royal, we're priests, we're holy, we're special, we're light, we are the people of God, and we have received God's mercy. You see, here's the thing, Christians, particularly at Christmas time, we're the ones in the know. We're the ones who know what's happening. We're in on the plan. We know this isn't just some random sweet love story about Mary and Joseph and a baby. It's that absolutely. And shepherds and ultimately wise men when they arrive, credit to Jack Goodyear. But here's the thing, we know What's going on? We know something is afoot. Each year at Christmas, we're reminded 
The fullness of time has already come. The promises are already being fulfilled. The new age has already been launched. And we, me and you, we are the ones who understand it. Because think about who we are. Well, who are we? Well, we're, we're the chosen ones, according to this text. We've been chosen. We've been given an opportunity to live purposefully. And notice we're, we're royal. We're children of the king. We're priests. We have a job to do. We're to represent God to the people and the people to God. We live a certain way in this present evil age. We're not captivated by it. We're holy. There's something about us that's, that's countercultural, that's different than, that's other than. It's because we're holy people. We're special. We're God's special, his, his treasured possession. We're the people of light, this text says in 1 Peter 2, 9. We, we understand we're living in the kingdom of light. We, we're God's people. We're, we're not just a, a little old local church. Of course we're a, little, we're a little old local church. Of course we are. But we're not just that. Located down there on Center Street in downtown Arlington. We're the people of God. We belong to this family that God has set aside to accomplish his purpose. And guess what we've received? Mercy. Why are we so gracious in how we treat others? Come on. Why are we so merciful in our response to the brokenness around us? Because God has been so merciful to us, we can't help ourselves. God's been so gracious to us, we can't help it. We've been changed. We've been transformed. We are, we are God's people. And you know what we are? We're a vital part of God's unfolding plan for the ages. So at Christmas time, what do we do? We sing. We sing with the heavenly choir. We sing as citizens of heaven already. And we rejoice. We live as God's people in the midst of this dark world. And what do we proclaim and sing? We sing this. Unto us a child is born. Come, let us adore him. May it be so. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, today we, we're grateful, Lord, for this season of the year. We're grateful that we recognize as Christians the deep truths that are on display at Christmas, the layers of truth and reality, the, the indications, the, the, the evidence of this multi-layered, rich story known as the great plan of redemption. And what I pray that you will give us the sensitivity and the ears and the eyes to see it and hear it. And that as we go about our day, as we make our way and wind our way through the Christmas season, that we will do it ever mindfully that we're your people chosen by you, that we are a royal priesthood, that we are holy people, your special possession, and we are to be ambassadors of light and hope to a world that lives awash in so much hopelessness. 
and darkness. So may this Christmas season, may our world hear the voices of the citizens of heaven above proudly proclaiming unto us a son is born, a child is given. Oh, come, let us adore him. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.